0: Boys and girls, two-footed podcast, Thursday, the 12th of August, brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, RTE player, BBC iPlayer, whatever it is you're geo-blocked from, Liberty Shield can help you find a workaround. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL VPN. you get 20% off at checkout. Also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk And do check out the EPL Index shop on Etsy. Just search EPL Index in the Etsy app. There's loads of new merchandise there. There's stuff celebrating Messi, joining PSG if you want to get that. There's lots of new Manchester City stuff. Lots of new Jaden Sancho. In his Manchester United kit. And if you are a Liverpool fan, do check out Anfield Index on Etsy as well. Right, folks. Today is Thursday, which means it is questions day. But we have a little bit of news to get through before we do that. Manchester United, sorry Manchester City have announced that Phil Foden is set to miss the first four weeks or so of the season with an injury. A foot injury that he picked up during Euro 2020 which was played in 2021, of course. And that's a big blow for City. Now, it's somewhat helped by the signing of Jack Grealish. But City were going to start the season without Kevin De Bruyne. Now they will be missing Phil Foden as well. This is a lot of pressure now on Grealish. Grealish now has to take on all of the creative mantle at City. I've said before, it's not his fault that he cost a hundred million, but he did cost a hundred million. And Jack Grealish is one of the best players in the, year, in the league this season. That deal has to be considered somewhat of a failure. It's going to be difficult for him to adapt to how City play, especially if Pep wants to play him as a number eight, where he's never shown any real ability to play in the past. So we'll wait and see what Grealish. He's going to probably have to start the season. As a number eight, you'd imagine it'll be Gundogan, Rodri and him. And then Mares, possibly Gabriel Jesus and Sterling as a front three. Still very strong even without Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden. We saw City start the league slowly last year. If it's a case that they get off to a slow start this year, you'll wonder if they'd be able to catch up. Because I don't know that Chelsea will be... As poor as they were in the first half last season, they've got a real manager now. They've just signed Lukaku, or they're in the process of signing Lukaku. It doesn't look like he'll play in the first game. Liverpool will be back to something more along the lines of normal. United have big expectations this season. Don't think they've got any chance to win in the league. But you'd imagine they'll come out of the blocks fast. Oli will be under pressure. A lot of money spent. Big new contract for him. City, if they get off to a slow start, might have a tougher time than they did last season. Another player who is going to be ruled out for a while is Hakim Zayic of Chelsea. Now, this isn't a big deal for Chelsea because he's not a first-choice player. He's a squad player. They had been talking about selling him this summer. The only thing this injury really stops is them selling him or loaning him out. So they'll be keeping him for the first half of the season at least. He has a serious shoulder injury, according to Thomas Tuchel. Um, happened in the first half of the Europe, uh, European Super Cup final against Villarreal last night. Chelsea obviously went on to win the game on penalties. Kepa coming off the bench to be the hero on penalties. Credit to him. We all know that his problems at Chelsea really began with an infamous penalty shootout in the. Carabao Cup Final, where he refused to go off. But maybe he starts to turn things around. He's a very, very talented goalkeeper. Very, very talented. The issue for him and for Chelsea is that they gave him a seven-year contract, which still has four years to run. He's on insane money. And Chelsea paid £71.6 to bring him into the club. His debut season was actually going pretty well until he had the issue in the Carabao Cup. Then his form fell off because of the intense pressure. He did help them win the Europa League, which is often overlooked. Um, but the last two seasons have not been great. He had a he had a poor nineteen twenty season. Was obviously replaced then by Eduard Mendy last summer, and when he came into the team, he still made some mistakes. So his confidence is shot. But he is a very good goalkeeper. He's only 26. He's still got plenty of time to get back to a good level, whether that's at Chelsea or somewhere else. I think if Chelsea could have sold him, they probably would by now. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see if he gets more run this season. Norwich have completed the signing of Greek international winger Christos Solis from PAOK. 8.8 million, uh, a five year contract. He had his first full season. As a professional last year, registered 16 goals and 10 assists and 46 appearances, just over 3,000 minutes. Rumoured to be very, very talented winger, very tricky on the ball, powerful runner. Hopefully he adapts quite quickly. Now, he will have the benefit of having uh, Gian Olus, the... Left back playing behind him, they're Greek international teammates, they were also at PAOK to get together. So hopefully, hopefully that benefits them and he can settle in. Norwich need him to hit the ground running. They need him, Sergeant, and Rashika to all perform this season if they're going to have any chance of staying up. They haven't strengthened quite enough. They still need at least one more at centre back, probably another one in midfield, along with Billy Gilmore. You'd like to see them add maybe another goal scorer. But if Rashika does well, he can he can get 10 to 15 goals if he has a good season. I like the business they have done. Unfortunately, Stuart Webber, who is one of the best directors of football in the league, works to a very, very minimal budget under Delia Smith, who might be the most tight-fisted owner in the league. That might come as a surprise to some Liverpool fans, but there is actually tighter owners. It's unusual, but it's true. The BBC pundits have picked their top fours. Alan Shearer has Chelsea to win the league. City second, United third, Liverpool fourth. Farah Williams has the same. Sue Smith has the same. Chris Sutton has Chelsea to win the league. City second, Liverpool third, United fourth. As do Rachel Brown-Finnis and Matt Upson. Rob Green has Chelsea, then Liverpool, then City, then United. Martin Keown has City, Chelsea, Liverpool, and then United. So does Micka Richards and Stephen Warnock. Danny Murphy and Mark Lawrence have City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. Ashley Williams, Clinton Morrison, Michael Brown, Pat Nevin, Leon Osman, all have City, then Chelsea, then United, then Liverpool. Nadim Anwar has City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Lindsay Johnson has City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. And Jermaine Beckford has City, Chelsea, United, Leicester. Jermaine Beckford, bad player, bad pundit. No surprise there. Um I would be very surprised if the top three isn't City, Liverpool, Chelsea in some order. I think that will be the order. Uh, as things stand, that's that's where I, I go with it. Um, City to win the league, Liverpool second, Chelsea third, and United in fourth. Um, I think Leicester fifth, Spurs sixth. That's kind of what I've got as a top six now. I'm going to hold off on doing my Premier League predictions until the transfer window closes, though, because there's no point. These aren't the finalised squads. City could go out and add Harry Kane. If they add Harry Kane and Spurs don't buy a replacement for him or don't buy an adequate replacement for him, Spurs aren't getting sixth. They might get eighth. They could be ninth. If Chelsea go and add Jules Koundé on top of Lukaku, that might push them into second. It could push them to first. So I want to wait till all the business is done. And when the transfer window closes, then I'll do my Premier League predictions with regards to how the league table, I think, will end up. Now, last season, obviously, went disastrously poorly for me uh, in many regards. But um, I think this season will be a bit more of a normal season with fans back in the stands, more of a normal schedule to the season, um, and hopefully a lot less injuries than what we saw last year. But some of those BBC predictions are, are very, very funny. Jermaine Beckford's being the most hilarious of all. Right, it is questions day. So, first question came from uh, Stephen Smith, who is one of the writers on EPL Index, sent through Guy Drinkle. Please take the four semi-finalists from the 1990 World Cup and build your starting 11, England, Argentina, Italy, West Germany, add a manager and five subs also. Right. So the four teams, like Stephen said, England, Argentina, Italy, West Germany. England played West Germany. Argentina played Italy. The starting 11s in those games were all pretty strong and notably all set up with a back three, including a sweeper. So we're going to go with a back three, including a sweeper. I've got Bodo Ilgner as my goalkeeper. He was Germany's number one. He would make the crucial save from Stuart Pearce in the semi-final to send Germany through to the final. He was a tremendous goalkeeper for Cologne and then went to uh, Real Madrid, had a couple of good seasons there, eventually lost his place to Iker Casillas. But I always thought he was a very, very good goalkeeper, very calm, never really made a mistake. The first goalkeeper to ever keep a clean sheet in the World Cup final. Really, really good keeper. Two Champions Leagues and La Liga with Real. Obviously won the the World Cup with Germany. Bodo-Wilgner for me. Largely because I'm trying to take these players at this point in their careers. Not before, not after. Shilton was way, way past his best at this point. Shilton was pushing 40 at this point. And as a smaller goalkeeper, in fact, Shilton was 40. He may even have been 40. Shilton was, was pushing 41. He would turn 41 in the September. As a smaller goalkeeper who relied a lot on his agility, that agility was gone at that point. And if you see the goal that he concedes in the semi-final, but when it loops off Paul Parker's calf, I mean, any Spry goalkeeper saves that, and Shilton got nowhere close to it. Um, Shilton's probably the, the greatest of the four goalkeepers Walter Zenga, Sergio Goicice have been the others, but at this point, I think Ilgner was the best. Uh, at the back, I've gone with a obviously a sweeper, Franco Baresi's a no brainer. The, the other options here would be Klaus Augenthaler, Mark Wright or uh, Juan Simon of, of Argentina. I think Baresi's head and shoulders above them all. Uh, in terms of two centre-backs, some some good options here, but I'm going with Giuseppe Bergami of Italy, who was the Italian captain at that World Cup. Tremendous defender for Inter Milan. Fantastic for for the Italian national team. And my second centre-back is Jurgen Kohler, One of my favourite defenders. Very, very good player on the ball. Very, very aggressive. Strong, good in the air, quick, good on the turn. To play right side or left side, I think he was a fantastic defender. So he's my second starting centre-back. At right wing-back, I've gone for Thomas Bertholdt of West Germany. Just a very, very classy player. Great on the ball. Very, very strong defender. Spent most of his career with Eintracht Frankfurt and uh, Stuttgart. Did have short spells with Hellas Verona, AS Roma and Bayern Munich, but Eintracht Frankfurt for the first 5 years, Stuttgart for the last 7. He was a really really important player for Germany um during this period and that World Cup he was tremendous start to finish. And I've got Paolo Maldini at left back, young Maldini at this point, but even then he was still the best left back in the world. Um Andreas Bremer a little bit unfortunate to miss out. He was great in this period, but I don't think there's any argument that Maldini is the man there. Uh, In midfield, Lothar Mateus, I think, is obvious. Just one of the greatest midfielders we've seen. Could play as a holding midfielder, could play as a central midfielder, had played as a 10 previously. wore number 10, even when playing as a defensive midfielder or as a sweeper, because he'd come through as that more attack-minded midfielder. Obviously transitioned into that sweeper role later in his career but was great there. But as a holding midfielder, I think he's top five all time. Um man marked Maradona in the eighty-six World Cup final and didn't work. So in this World Cup final, Maradona actually played as a striker rather than in the midfield. Now I've got him in my midfield, but that's for other reasons. Um so Matthias was freed up when Germany met Argentina in the final. He didn't have the traipse round. After Maradona all game long. Jurgen Collar took that on. And Collar kept him quiet. But I do think. Matthias was just different class. In central midfield. Next to him, I've gone for Gaza. This was kind of the summer of Gaza. When he announced himself to the world. Obviously a lot of people remember. Um, him crying when he was booked. In the semi-final. But he had been. Absolutely sensational the whole way through for England. Him and David Platt in midfield, not really a defensive minded midfield. The England team were quite attack minded. The England team was basically 3 4 2 1, but the two behind the one played quite wide Beardsley wide left, uh, Waddle wide right, Paul Parker and, and Stuart Pierce as less wing backs, more full backs. It was kind of a one and a flat four with a two, a two and a one. It was more defensive minded than you'd expect, given the players England had at their disposal. Um, but Platt and Waddle, or sorry, um, Platt and Gascoigne in midfield were both brilliant. I'll go with Gascoigne just as a slightly better player than David Platt, but David Platt was was very very good as well. Uh, Maradona as the ten needs no explanation, and up front I've gone for Klinsman who I I just adored I loved watching Jurgen Klinsmann play and Roberto Baggio who didn't start the semi-final he came off the bench against Argentina and um, this was again young Baggio but you have to have Baggio um as for a bench I've gone with Sergio Goycochea as a personal choice the least well regarded of the four goalkeepers but at this point definitely a better keeper than Shilton maybe not quite as good as Zenga who was right in the middle of his prime. Um, Inter Milan, number one, would go on to play for Sampdoria after that. But I really, really liked Goikice, Goikice in this tournament. Just thought he was just thought he was brilliant, to be honest. The, the penalty saves, having come in from the cold, he was a late addition to the squad. Uh, Neri Pompidou got injured in the opening game, I think it was, against Cameroon. I think that was the game he got hurt in. Could have been the second game either. But Goykeche came in at that point and never looked back and was just brilliant. Carried Argentina to the the semi-final stage with penalty saves. Did it again in the semi-final. And then obviously just couldn't get to to Braima's penalty in the final. But uh, Goykeche there. Des Walker. Now, you know, people will look at Terry Butcher, Mark Wright, Guido Buchwald, Klaus Agenthaler. Oscar Ruggiero, Ricardo Ferry, and say, oh, you know, what about those guys? I think Des Walker is the single most underrated centre-back that England has produced. This guy was 5'10". Lightning quick. Great on the ball. Never got beaten 1v1. Absolutely tremendous centre-back. For Forrest, had a year at Sampdory. It should have stayed longer. They loved him uh played for Sheffield Wednesday then for 8 years and then finished up back at Forest but just a great defender des walker was a great defender lightning quick i don't know that i've ever seen a center back with that kind of pace if he came through now he'd be he'd be a full back he wouldn't have been allowed to play center back he was too quick too good in the ball um he was i think what a lot of people think ben white is but with more pace he was a great defender, really good in the ball, could carry it, could ping a pass, and obviously that recovery pace to cover for everybody else. Des Walker was brilliant. Thomas Hassler, one of my favourite players, I'm going to pick him as my sub midfield, as one of my two sub midfielders, just always enjoyed watching him play, um, he had a great career for Cologne, Juve, Roma, Karlsruhe, and 1860 Munich, German international for 12 years, part of this team, part of the team and. In 96, which is my all-time favourite international team. So Thomas Hassler has to be in for me. Um, Jorge Borrechaga, I put him in as well. Kind of a midfield attacker option. Just endless energy, great pace, good touch. Scored the winner in the 86 World Cup final. Always enjoyed watching clips of him play. Because there was something about him this... Kind of raw energy, raw passion for the game that you don't see all that often. Um I just he's just a, a personal favourite. And uh, Gary Lineker. I think Gary Lineker over Viali, Scalaci, and Kanizia. Um yeah, Gary Lineker as a goal scorer, second to none for Leicester, for Everton, for Barca, and for Spurs. He was just he was guaranteed goals. Guaranteed goals. And for England, obviously as well. Um should have broken the goal-scoring record for England. Decided to retire from international football at the age of just 32. Missed a penalty against Brazil. That would have sent him level with Bobby Charlton. But Lineker should have broken that record. He was he was a tremendous goal-scorer. Not a whole lot of all-round game. I think he'd agree to that himself. But as a goal-scorer, he was just sensational. Uh, and as for a manager, I'm going to go Bobby Robson. Now, I think Bilardi... Is, is worth a mention. Uh, he had a pretty good managerial career. Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer had a good managerial career. And obviously, winning the World Cup is massive. But I think Bobby Robson was by far and away the best manager here. What he did with Ipswich, with England, PSV, Sporting Porto, Barcelona, uh, just different class. If you want some, a lot of egos in that team I've just picked. Lot of eagles. If you want someone to manage eagles, you want Bobby Robson. So, Sir Bobby Robson would be the manager of my 1990 World Cup semi final best 11, five subs. That's what we'd have. Uh, right. Moving on then to the Discord questions. Adam Hannon has a couple, so I'll take them in one go. Uh, discuss Bowen. Barnes, Danjuma, Doku and David to Liverpool. The why, the why not, the yes and the no. Bowen, the why would be he's a hard worker. He's a decent finisher. He's got a little bit of versatility about him. He's a good link player. The why not would be I think he's got quite a low ceiling. I think he may be the player he's going to be. I don't know. There's much for him to level up on. He doesn't play in a front three. He's more of a wide player than an inside forward. I don't know that he can operate as well as Liverpool would like. Played narrow with less space to work in. Don't know that he has the the real raw pace to get in behind the way Liverpool like their wide forwards to do. He'd also cost a lot of money. I think you're looking 50 million for Jared Bowen. And to me, he's just not that player. If it was 25, 30, you'd definitely consider it, but West Ham paid the guts of 25 million for him. They're going to want a big profit. So for me, he'd be a no. Harvey Barnes would be a yes. I, I love watching Harvey Barnes. Now the why not would be potential price. If Leicester were asking 60 million, I think you might have to hold back. If you could get him for closer to 50, I think he's worth doing. Great pace, very powerful runner. Last season, when played centrally with Vardy, he tore the league apart. I think playing him as an inside forward, you would get levels more out of him than what we've seen Brendan Rodgers get out of him using him as a more traditional wide man. I'm a big, big fan of Harvey Barnes. I think he's got plenty of scope for development. I think Barnes would be a good fit. Dan Juma, I think like Bowen, I'd be a little bit concerned about where his ceiling is. Is he already the player he's going to be? He certainly had a really good season last year. But we've seen him in the Premier League and he's very much struggled in the Premier League. Doing it in the Championship is one thing. Let's see you do it in the Premier League before Liverpool spunk. You know, substantial amounts of money on you. You're going to be £30 without question. Um, And I would put him below Bowen in terms of where I think he is right now as a player. More talented than Bowen for sure. Um, maybe a bit more to his all-round game than Bowen, but he hasn't proven anything in the Premier League. So he'd be a no. Jeremy Doku is the most interesting one of the group because the answer is yes, but it's also no. Yes, you would want the talent. Yes, you would buy him now to avoid potentially paying sixty, seventy million 70 million in a year if you can get him for 35 now. The no would be he's not ready for Liverpool. He's not ready for a top four English club just yet. Now, part of that is that Wren played him mostly on the right wing last year, and that doesn't suit his game. They were asking him to limit himself, to do things that don't get the best out of him. You want him on the left, where he can cut inside or go on the outside. He's fine going on the outside on his left foot if all he has to do is swing across and get a cut back. But when he's cutting infield, he's not comfortable cutting infield onto his left foot because his shooting ability isn't there. I think you could buy Doku and loan him back if you got the right him at the right price. But the issue then is you're still leaving yourself one short in attack. Um, tremendous talent. Like the upside is incredible, and I, I think he's the closest thing you'll find to Sadio Mane. The why not would be he's still very raw. He didn't have a great season last year, though he came on strongly at the end of the season, did have a good Euros. The talent is there. Liverpool have scouted him for years. And by his own admission, he would be very interested in that move. But I think he would benefit. He would benefit more from a year somewhere else. So if Liverpool were to buy him, the best thing might be to buy him and park him somewhere for 12 months. And if it's Wren, it would have to be on the understanding that he's going to play on the left, not on the right. Uh Jonathan David is an interesting one. He's a bit more of a number nine than he is a traditional wide player, but he does play as an inside forward quite a bit. Uh Good movement, good hold-up play, links to play well, good finisher. I think he's got a pretty high ceiling as well. The why not would be, didn't have a great season with Lille last year. couple of key goals, but it seemed like the step from the Belgian league To the French League was a little bit of an adjustment for him. As it was for Doku. That both of them moved across at the same time. Um, So maybe you want to see another year of him. In the French League. See how he adapts. Because if you're going to ask him to jump from the French League to the Premier League. That's an even bigger jump than the Belgian League to the French League. And can he handle it? Evidence says maybe not just yet. Um, of, of that group, the one I would go for would be Harvey Barnes. I think Doku's the most talented, got the most upside, but Barnes is the one I know will be a success. Of the four, he's the only one I know will be a success. So, sorry, the five, I should say. Barnes is the only one I can be fairly certain is going to be a success. So Harvey Barnes would be the one. Uh, Willology, with Dean Smith saying he didn't buy Ollie Watkins to play him wide. How would you set Villa up to get the best out of Ings and Watkins as a strike partnership? I think you have to go with a narrow 4 4 2 where you play Bailey on the right. He'll be cutting in field on his left foot non stop. And you play Buendia off the left and he cuts in on his right foot. You get cash and target overlapping, which is what they want to do anyway. And then you go with Douglas Louise and John McGinn as your centre midfield pairing. Now, I still think it works better as a 4-2-3-1 with Buendia as a 10 and Watkins off the left. But if Dean Smith wants to try it as a 4-4-2 or he wants to try it as a diamond, I don't really know how a diamond would work unless he was planning on leaving Bailey out of the team and just using him as a rotation option. But for me, a 4 3 one is the one that makes more sense. But you could play it as a 4-4-2. You could play Buendee on the right and Bailey on the left um, and be a bit more traditional, just tuck Buendee in a little bit, let Bailey play wide, less pressure on target. But on the right-hand side, you'll get cash bombing forward. So you could do that either. Uh, but I think 4-4-2 is the only real way. Uh, what do you think of this merry-go-round? Arsenal sign Ab- Tammy Abraham. Roma sign Lacazette, Inter sign Belotti, Torino sign Catrone, and obviously Jekyll uh, to Inter, and um Lukaku to Chelsea have already happened. Um I don't think Arsenal need Tammy Abraham. I don't think he's better than the striking options they already have. I do like Tammy, just don't think they need him. I think that that's money they could spend better elsewhere. Lacazette to Roma... The issue for Roma right now is a lack of pace up front, and I don't think Lacazette solves that. I do like Lacazette. I think he's a better player than we've seen him at Arsenal. But just don't know that he solves their problem. Bellotti to enter, I do like. I think Bellotti and Jacko would work as a pair. Bellotti and Martinez, though, could be a little bit hit and miss because a lot of the runs Bellotti makes are the same kind of runs Martinez makes. Uh, Catrone to enter is a decent or to Torino's a decent one. He definitely needs a move. But I would rather him play with Bellotti. That's that's what I would rather see. I'd rather play see him play as part of a two with Bellotti and allow Bellotti to make runs off of him. I would rather leave Lacazette at Arsenal, move Tammy to Roma, leave Bellotti at Torino and add Catrone there and find someone else to go to Inter. Someone more along the lines of Jacko, who you can rotate with him, even Tammy to enter. I would prefer uh, Tammy to enter. Him and Jacko kind of rotating in that number nine role for the first year, and then Jacko just becomes a straight backup. I think Tammy and and um, Laturo would work really, really well. Lubo, what do you think of the situation at PSG with Mbappe apparently wanting to go to Madrid? Keep him this season if you even if you lose him for free, or sell him and buy someone like Pogba or Camavinga. Sell him and buy Pogba and Camavinga is what I would do. Um I know it's it's you know you you're selling Killing Mbappe, so I mean that's it's madness in itself, but if you're gonna lose him for free, then I know they've got all the money in the world. Like I know they've got all the money in the world, but you have to run a football club to a certain degree of sense. And the sensible move here is to sell Kylian Mbappe to Real Madrid for a hundred and twenty million. Use fifty of it to buy Pogba. I well personally I wouldn't buy Pogba, but they want Pogba. I would buy Camavinga for certain. But if they bought Pogba and Camavinga. Then they have those two, plus Verratti, plus Ginny Wijnaldum, plus Paredes in midfield. In which case, they maybe can start to look at moving on Adrissa gay and Ander Herrera. No, I don't know if they'll get any money for Herrera, because he's on like 200, 250 grand a week there. And he's 31, so I don't know if there'll be much value in him. So maybe it makes more sense to keep him unless you just want rid of the wages. But for me, I, I would what I would actually do is I would sell Mbappe, I would buy Camavinga, I would buy Theo Hernandez, who I think is the the left back that solves a lot of their problems. Um you probably get the two of them for about 90 million combined, you'd have 30 million left over. Just use that to, you know, bribe some UEFA officials if they come knocking for FFP, and just play, um, play a I know him and Messi don't get on, but they need a goal scorer, like a Messi's gonna score a ton. Neymar'll score a ton, but they need a number nine, a focal point, and I think he's the best option for that that they have. They already have him there. They don't need to bring anybody else in. I think that would just give them a bit more security. Like, I know they can absorb a loss on on Mbappe, but they paid a hundred and sixty million or something for him. At least get a hundred and twenty back. Um, Foxes Fox eight. How funny is Ramsdale to Arsenal? Sixth most expensive keeper in world football. Now, since that question was posted last night, news has come out that that deal is on the brink of collapse. The clubs are. Are wide apart apparently in their valuations. Arsenal valuing them at about twenty four million, Sheffield United wanting closer to thirty four million. Sheffield United are deluded if they think Aaron Ramsdale is worth that kind of money. Absolutely deluded. He was the worst goalkeeper in England last year. He was the worst goalkeeper in England the year before that. Kid's been relegated three times. Three times. Aaron Ramsdale is talented. He's young, and maybe he's going to be a good goalkeeper in a few years. But for right now, he's not a good goalkeeper. He just isn't. He has played basically four seasons as a professional. He had a half-season loan to Chesterfield. They got relegated. He had a half-season loaned AFC Wimbledon. Then he played a year with Bournemouth, was the worst keeper in the league, and they got relegated. And then he played a year on, with Sheffield United. And again, he was the worst keeper in the league, and they got relegated. So four seasons and three times he's been relegated. AFC Wimbledon should count the blessings that they were kind of the exception to the Aaron Ramsdale rule. Um, It's hilarious, but Arsenal are only being saved from their own stupidity. By the greed of Sheffield United. And potentially the stupidity of Sheffield United. Adam Hanlon. discussed five other, ad, other avenues. Arsenal could have gone. Not only for a better keeper. But saving tons of money in the process. So you've got Leno. He's not great but he's alright. You could go and try and sign Onana. From Ajax. He's out of contract next summer. Now he is banned at the moment. He's got a, a ban for taking some medication that was meant for his misses. And it was all a big mess. I reckon Ajax at this point, given he's going to miss a chunk of the season and is out of contract next summer, Ajax might take $8 million for him. He's a much better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale. Much better. So go and get him. Or Predrag Rajkovic of Stad de Reims. Again, much better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale. 25, 26, in in the middle of his 20s, not yet hitting his prime, already a tremendous goalkeeper, much, much better than Ramsdale, better all-round keeper as well, not just a shot stopper, but he's dominant in the air, he's good on crosses, organized as well, really good with his feet. Raskovic would make much more sense. Freddie Woodman. Newcastle have three goalkeepers. They don't need three goalkeepers and certainly aren't going to be able to keep both Darlow and Woodman because one of them is going to want out because they won't be third choice. Woodman's a much better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale. He's been tremendous the last two seasons with Swansea. You're already in negotiations with Newcastle over Joe Willock. So why not try and get Freddie Woodman as part of that deal rather than ask for 22 million? Maybe you ask for 10 million and Freddie Woodman. Woodman can come in, sit behind uh, Leno for a year, and then take over when you sell Leno next summer, and you get the twelve million difference that you basically paid for Woodman in the Willock transaction back. Same thing with Onana, bring him in, you have Leno for the year, Onana takes over next year, you sell Leno, you get your money back. You'll get you'll get eight to twelve million next summer for Bernard Leno. Raskovic would come in and be immediately number one. So that's a that's a, obviously a different circumstance. One thing they could have gone and done was they could have bought Lille's Mike Maignan, who moved to AC Milan for $14 million or something cheap. He's one of the best goalkeepers in Europe. And Arsenal weren't even in the mix for him. Didn't even look at him. The two goalkeepers they've been looking at all summer are Sam Johnston and Aaron Ramsdale. Now, Johnston is a better goalkeeper than Ramsdale. But... He's older as well. He's like 28, 29. So he's in his prime. He's not going to get a whole bunch better. Um, They could have gone and signed Alphonse Areola, who's available on a loan with a buy option. And he's a much better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale. Like much, much better than Aaron Ramsdale. Um, really don't understand why you would insist that the goalkeeper you want is Aaron Ramsdale. Like there's four Ariola, Woodman. That's five actually. Ariola, Woodman, um Mannon, Rajkovic, and Onana. They're all better than than Ramsdale. They were all available this summer and yet Arsenal decided that Ramsdale was the only one That would do them. I I really don't understand it. Like, if you want to spend 34 million on a goal, or 24 million even on a goalkeeper, especially when it's not a position of absolute need. But Andre Lunin of Real Madrid, Real are looking to sell players. He's a tremendous young goalkeeper, only 21, 22, huge human being, massive upside, already very, very solid. Why not go and buy him instead? I think you could probably get Unai Simon out of Bilbao for $24 million. If you're willing to spend that type of money on a goalkeeper, why not go and buy an established good goalkeeper like him? If you want a young guy, you buy a Lunan. So there you go. Lunan, Simon, Onana, Rajkovic and Woodman. They're the five I would say Arsenal would be much better off to go and get now. And that's after missing out on Ariola. And Manion, but that that Ramsdale deal is ludicrous. Um, Chris Colby, question from your early days of watching football. Do you remember? Do you remember any specific players that were post prime that you didn't think were very good, only to realize they were very good in their er, in their prime? Easy example as a US kid was some of the big names that finished their career off in MLS. There are two that stand out. One is Brian Robson who all I knew of Brian Robson is he was this injury-plagued 5 out of 10 midfielder who would come on and run around at the end of games. And then I found out who Brian Robson really was, which is one of the greatest midfielders England have ever produced. Now, I will defend myself by saying I was like 8, 9, 10, seeing this old man coming on and jogging slowly round the pitch. Um, but Brian Robson would be one, and injuries obviously played a massive part in, in hampering his career. But a tremendous midfield player in his prime, and the other is Rudy Voller. Now Voller was part of the German squad in '90, and the most memorable thing he did in '90 was spit at um, Frank Rijkaard. Uh, yeah, Frank Rijkaard. Between the two of them, they just made an absolute mess of things. They, Rijkaard was the one that eventually got done for the spitting, but. Both of them were spitting each other, taunting each other, pushing each other, dragging out each other. And eventually they both got themselves sent off and just spoiled the game between them. Saw them um, so playing in 94. And remember, back then, especially here in Ireland, we weren't getting any other leagues. We only started to really, we got Gazzetta Football Italia and you know, you'd get the Italian football on Channel 4. Um, when that began, but Voller was only at Roma for, I think, the first year of that, maybe, if even. He was with Marseille. He was finishing up at Bayer Leverkusen. So I didn't know much about him other than when I saw him play for Germany. And he was dreadful at Euro, at the 1990 World Cup, because the only thing I can remember is him getting sent off. Um, he got hurt early in the Euro 92. He didn't play a bunch in the 94 World Cup, and Germany were awful in the 94 World Cup, so that sort of spoiled the overall view of him, but in 96, I fell in love with that Germany team, Dieter Els was my favourite player, so <clears throat> I picked Werder Bremen as like the German team that I'm going to follow, and I still to this day, that's the German team that I follow, and lo and behold, Rudy Voller was one of the best players that Werder Bremen ever had. When I researched Werder Bremen to the level that I could at the time, all I read about was how great Rudy Voller had been. And then you go back and you look at his career. So he plays for kickers off and back in the second Bundesliga in 78-79. So remember, I'm seeing him 12, 13, 15 years after this not be very good. But back then he gets 13 and 30, 9 and 43. Moves on to 1860 Munich, 10 and 35. They drop down a division, he gets 39 and 39 in the second Bundesliga. He moves to Werder Bremen in 82-83 scores 36 and 40, 21 and 44, 26 and 38, 14 and 20, 22 in 30, 32. Five great seasons. The 85-86 season spoiled by injury, but when he's fit he just scores goals for fun. Goes to Roma, poor first season, five and twenty-eight, then he finds his form fifteen and 43, 16 in thirty-eight, twenty-five in fifty-two, and then seven and thirty-six his last season there goes goes on to Marseille, twenty-two and forty-four, six and twenty-nine, and then he goes back to the Bundesliga with Bayer Leverkusen, sixteen and thirty-four. And 15 in 41. And those last two seasons, he's 34, 35, 36. So he was banging in goals late on. Um, with the exception of his first and last years at Roma and his second year at, um, at Marseille, he is just a machine the whole way through his career from when he kicks on in that second season. With 1860 Munich in the second Bundesliga and goes 39 and 39, he's just a machine for goals. After that, 318 goals in 673 club matches, 47 and 90 for the German national team. Vast majority of them came before the 1990 World Cup. Um, Just turned out he was an absolutely brilliant striker. Um, I just didn't see the best of him at the time, but afterwards I found out that, you know, he was he was truly, truly top class. Um. So yeah, Rudy Voller will be would be the other one. Uh, are you doing anything special to celebrate one year of the Two Footed Pod later this month? A six hour six hour rant special, perhaps. I might do something like that. I might, maybe take the little self-imposed shackles of not swearing off for an episode. I may just tell my relations not to listen to that day. But I might do something, yeah. I'll, I'll see. I'll see. Um, What football incidents or games would you like to see featured in, the, in a 30 for 30 series? If you could select one team for a hard-knock series and one historical club for a last-dance series, who would they be? So these are good. This is Chris Colby again. So Incidents for a 30-for-30 30 30 series. Yugoslavia being removed from the 1992 European Championships and Denmark been parachuted in at the last minute and then going on and winning it. That would be fascinating to see. Um, I'd like to see a 30-for-30 30 30 on Maradona and his move to Barcelona, which I think is often overlooked. Because obviously a lot of the focus goes on to when he joined um, Napoli. But when he went to Barcelona, he was the world's most expensive player as well. And remember, there's a lot of anecdotes about, or anecdotes, I should say, not anecdotes, anecdotes about him almost signing for Sheffield United and almost signing for this club. So maybe a a 30-for-30 on his time Before Barca. And the move to Barca. Could be quite interesting. Um, As for. But yeah. the, the, The 92 Denmark one. Has always fascinated me. A last dance series. Liverpool's. Last title win. Before the one just gone. The last title under Kenny. Because I'd love to know if any of the players had any inkling of what was about to happen. That could make a good 30 for 30 as well. The transition from Kenny to Sooness. How it happened, why it happened, and then what went wrong under Souness. Souness. That could be good. Um another historical team I'd like to see a last dance on is Sakis Milan. I'd love to see that. Um, or maybe the the last Ferguson team. And see if any of them had any idea of how bad things were going to get for United post Ferguson. Um, as for a hard knock season, I mean we do have the all or nothing, which is good. But not quite as gritty and not quite as intense. Um See it's tough because you, you need real characters. You need people that are gonna say things. And a lot of a lot of managers and that are very guarded in what they say. Like Dyke should be interesting because he just says what he wants, but you don't I don't think Burnley would bring many eyeballs. Atletico Madrid and Simeone would be good. Or whatever club Gattuso manages next could be good. Because those two are just such explosive personalities that they'd likely just say whatever they want. Um, And it'd be interesting to see just how hard Simeone works his team in pre-season. Uh, Brian X. If Liverpool sign Saul, who do you think Klopp gives more freedom to between him and Thiago, who sits a bit with Fab. I think he gives more freedom to Saúl, and I think he lets Thiago sit in there and be that controlling midfielder next to Fabinho, which I think is the best role for him. Saúl has the ability to score goals. If you look from 95-96, he scores 9 goals, 9 goals, six, six, seven. Last season, he only got 2. But He was banging, not a massive amount, but still a decent amount of goals for five years. And I think in a Liverpool team with more freedom, more opportunity to get forward, I do think it's something he would be able to add to this Liverpool team. Goals from midfield. He's got a very powerful shot. He's good in the air. He's very good at timing his runs. And he's very intelligent. And he can combine all of that with being a great defensive-minded midfielder. So I would hope it would be so. I think he's a more powerful athlete as well to get forward. So that would be my hope with him. Um, Mr. Ecker, with financial doping making it really hard for clubs to compete, what would be the club in Italy and Spain you would go for if you were a billionaire and build some something similar to those clubs? Which signings have been a surprise to you this transfer so so far in a good or bad way? Uh, I'm surprised that Villa went for Ings. I thought they would have gone Abraham. He fits their timeline a lot better. I do like Danny Ings' signing for them, but I think Tammy would have been a better stylistic fit. And I think Tammy's age would have suited what they were doing a lot better. Surprised City spent 100 million on a 50 million pound player. might be a forty five million pound player, but yeah, surprised by that. Um surprised by Messi, obviously. I think we all expected that he'd stay. Um it's been a quiet summer. Lukaku to Chelsea has surprised me because it was he was untouchable. You know, that's what we were told. He was untouchable. Fabrizio Romano told me he's untouchable. No way he leaves. Fabrizio knows everything. Uh, There's a video on Fabrizio's Twitter uh, that he stole uh, of Lukaku arriving in London. I would invite you all to go and check his Twitter and have a look at who the creator of the video is and what they changed the name to. Um, But yeah, they're the ones that have kind of surprised me. In terms of what clubs you would buy to go and build something similar to I suppose your Chelsea's, your City's, your PSG's. So Kevin Clark says Livorno or Rayo Vecano, but that would that would ruin the fabric of those clubs. So you're looking for some club that be more open to things like that. Um, I think in Spain. You want a club that's a big club that has good foundations and an existing fan base. Valencia would be one option. Real Betis could be another. You could look at one of the kind of fallen clubs, like a Deportivo La Coruña or a Sporting Gijón that just haven't uh, been able to find their you know best levels in a long time. Club like Sporting, they they've never won a major trophy, but they're a they're a big club, big regional club. Uh, La Coruña, obviously, they were great under Irueta back in the nineties and two thousands when they won the the uh, La Liga title, and it was them who broke the stranglehold of you know the big three. They're the first club that you know battered their way in. Um, so I'd be maybe inclined to go for them or Valencia. Um, Sevilla could be an option but I I love how Sevilla operate and I wouldn't want to take away from that so I'd probably go Valencia in terms of size of the club history of the club good fan base there's a new stadium half built or two thirds built that you could just take over and finish so that would be one way to get the fans all on board and Valencia is a beautiful place so it would be fairly easy I think to convince players to come and live there As for Syria, uh, I'm going to say Genoa. Um, Big city, good club, good history. You see, with Lazio or or Roma, you've got another big club in the city. Same with the Milan club, same with Torino. Genoa and Sampdoria aren't massive clubs. Now, Genoa had. Some success many years ago. Sampdori had success in the early 90s. but I don't think there's a huge goal. The other club would be Fiorentina, but again, that could ruin the fabric of them. Same with, with Napoli, could ruin what makes them special. Uh, I think I'd go Genoa. Genoa or Sampdoria, Either one. Either one. That's the city I'd aim for, though. Um, Isaac Gilding is a smaller man myself. I've always enjoyed that football is one of the few sports where being tall or big isn't necessarily necessarily an advantage. Some of the best players ever are very short. Yeah, like Maradona and Messi. What's the best 11 you could put together of short players? I'm defining short here as 5'8 or under, except for centre-backs. But I don't think that's possible. So those players, you're allowed to go up to 5'10. Right, okay. So George Campos would be the goalkeeper. He was like 5'9, five, 5'10". My centre backs, I'll go Baresi and Cannavaro, both five nine. Uh, at left back, Roberto Carlos, but five seven. At right back, you could play Ayala there, but it's not ideal. What height was Dennis Irwin? I think he was bigger than five eight. Dennis Irwin, according to Wikipedia, is 5'8. So I'm going to play him at right back. In midfield, um. Lothar Mateus is five nine. I'm going to go Angolo Kante. Who can't be much more than five six, five, seven. I'm going to go Thomas Hassler, he's 5-5. Five, five. Let me just check on Kante, just make sure. Golo Kante, height, 5-6. So Hassler, Kante. Um, I want one more in midfield. What height does So he's not a big man. Edgar Davids, 5 foot 7 so there's my 3 man midfield N'Golo Kante, Thomas Hassler and Edgar Davids Maradona is going to be my 10 Messi will be one of my front men and the other Michael Owen. Michael Owen. So, I've got Messi and Owen up front, Maradona behind, Kante, Hassler, Davids as my midfield three, Erwin, Cannavaro, Baresi, Carlos, and Jorge Campos as my keeper. That's my That's my team of players 5-8 or under with the little bit of you know flexibility you gave me for the goalkeeper and two centre backs. Um I'll skip doing the one for the Giants. I might do that next week. Um if that's okay. Uh if you were to participate in a fantasy this is Y N W A foodie. If you were to participate in a Premier League fantasy league, what would your team be? Um so I don't play fantasy football largely because I've got a really short attention span. So what I do is I'll pick a team and I do really well for about three weeks, and then I forget about it or ignore it and never make any changes and just leave the team the same for the rest of the season. So I end up not doing very well at all. Um, I will pick a fantasy team. I'll, I'll have to look at the uh, the fantasy web, uh, Premier League fantasy website. And I will pick a team using whatever budget it is they give you these days, and I will give you that team tomorrow uh, on the show before I get into the predictions with Mister Drinkle. And um, that is all the questions. We'll wrap up very quickly with the gossip. Uh, Romelu Lukaku is on the brink of completing his move to Chelsea. We know that. Tottenham could move for Fiorentina. Fiorentina's sixty million. Rated Serbian striker Dusan Vlahovic. If they sell Harry Kane, this is no brainer stuff. But uh, he's not sixty million rated. He was forty million rated at the start of the summer. Um, so sixty million is a nonsense. Arsenal have pulled out of talks to sign, uh, Sheffield United's Aaron Ramsdale after the Gunners refused to meet a thirty million asking price. They're better off. They're much better off. Um. Chelsea have accepted a £34 million bid from Roma that includes a buyback club. We need this yesterday. Arsenal will offer their French striker Alex Lacazette to Roma in order to pave the way for Abraham to move to the Gunners. I don't think so. Sevilla are willing to sell Jules Conde. However, the Blues are unwilling to meet their £68 million want asking price. And may instead include a player of their own. They don't want a player. They want money. Um, Sevilla would want an additional twenty million in return for allowing Chelsea to pay the fee in installments. With the Blues concerned about financial fair play, so there's a buyout clause. That's that must be the sixty-eight million. Is that eighty-one million? What sixty-eight million in euro? Because I remember reading in in um. Yeah, it's just under €81 million, Euros, so that's what the buyout was. But Sevilla, unless Chelsea are going to play it, pay it all up front, would want an extra €20 million on top. Uh, screw them to the wall, get every penny you can. Uh, Southampton have a, had a bid accepted for Yannick Vestergaard. I mean, that's Brendan Rodgers at his finest. Tottenham and Aston Villa are both preparing to offer, make offers for Southampton's James Ward-Prowse. Not really sure why Spurs would want him. Don't really see that he fits at Spurs at all, but, you know. Leon are in negotiations with Liverpool over a move for Jordan Shakiri. I hope it gets done. I, I really do hope it gets done. Barcelona still owe Lionel Messi £33 million as part of a loyalty bonus included in his final contract at the club. Madness. Inter Milan are interested in signing Moise Keane, who spent last year on loan at PSG. That would make sense for them. If they get him and Jacko. that would make sense for them. Um, Inter were set to propose a £50 million offer to Manchester United for Anthony Martial. But United have no intention of selling. I uh, would imagine it was more, more likely a loan because Inter don't have any money. Lazio are, even, even after selling Lukaku and Hakimi, uh, they still have no money. Lazio are closing in on a loan deal for Lucas Torreira. Good move for him, bad move for Arsenal. Um, Newcastle and Joe Willock are still a distance apart when it comes to agreeing personal terms. Newcastle, don't lose a deal on personal terms. Joe Willock is the best player you're going to buy this summer, so make sure you get it done. Tottenham are set to step up their offense, their a- attempts to sign João Paulinha with Nuno de santo a long-time admirer of the Portugal midfielder. I wonder who his agent is. So let's just very quickly Take a quick gander and see who his agent is. It's not listed. I would guess his agent is George Mendes. Uh, Okay, allegedly, his, int- his agent is somebody called Luis Neves, who I don't know. Ah, he's associated with super agent George Mendez. So, um, Mendes pulling the strings at Spurs as he once did at Wolves, and still does at Wolves. That's why they signed Jose Sa, who's terrible. Newcastle have opened talks with Roma over a deal to sign 23-year-old Spanish winger Carlos Perez at... Uh, on on loan with an option to buy. Um, he's a good player. He's a good player. He'd be an interesting one. Former Barcelona academy graduate. Went on loan to Roma. Did okay. Then wasn't great last season. He's a good player. Then he's still in twenty three. Could be interesting. Uh, referees could offer in game explanations of key decisions from as early as next season under plans being proposed by the Premier League with automatic offside calls also in development. So that's not this season coming, that's next season, uh, 22-23. Those would be good. We see that in rugby, we see it in rugby league, we see it in the NFL. I think that would be beneficial uh, in the, you know, in the spirit of transparency. That's it then. That's the show for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for sending in the questions. Uh, I will get the fantasy Premier League team done up for tomorrow. And Isaac, I will put together a team of giants for next week. And then I'll figure out who I think would win. But to be honest, I've got the best centre-back ever. The best defend- well, second best defender ever, maybe, in Beresi. I've got Angolo Kante and Davids, who are never going to stop running. I've got Maradona, who I think is the greatest player ever. I've got Messi. My goalkeeper is the weak point. If anyone can point me in the direction of a better goalkeeper, 5'10 and under. Now, hang on. That reminds me. Let me just check something very quickly. Oh, what hype is this fellow. No, never mind. No, guy. I said shorter, not shorter arms. Um. If anyone can point me in the direction of a keeper... 5, 10 or under, let me know. Otherwise, I will see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.